Welcome to Homestead Story. We're Peter and Kristen. Join us as we share a new but old kind of family life. Hello, everyone. This is Peter and Kristen coming to you from our Maryland homestead. Good morning, everyone. So yesterday, I planted three hazelnut trees. They were the last of my hazelnut trees. I had planted nine of them in the spring and then didn't get around to finishing them. So I put three in a pot and yesterday I finally got them in the ground. And one of the reasons that's really neat is hazelnuts used to cover this country. Mm. There was tons of them throughout Maryland, Pennsylvania, DC, Virginia, West Virginia, this whole area had hazelnuts. And then what's called the Eastern filbert blight came from overseas and just wiped them out. So that's a plant disease and it destroyed them. And there's hazelnuts uh, throughout Europe and into Asia and places like that. And in those parts of the world, they are resistant to the Eastern filbert blight, but it didn't exist here in North America until it came from overseas. So the North American plants weren't ready for it and just got wiped out. Mm. And it's, it's happened to a number of species here uh, in America. But there's, there's a couple people, Phil Ritter and Mark Shepard are the two that I know of, who have been working with hazelnuts for decades now to hybrid them with, so basically cross-pollinate the American varieties with varieties that come from around the world, and then they're looking for disease resistance is their top quality. And so they they want a plant that's not going to succumb to the eastern filbert blight, but still has the American genetics in it. And then they've been breeding them for lots of other uh, good reasons too, like cold resistance and being able to bear early and just produce really good nuts and so the hazelnut, one of the things that's interesting about it is it has a similar nutrient profile to soy, except it's perennial. So it could offer a way to produce a whole bunch of those carbohydrates and proteins that are used without a row cropping system. Mm. But either way, it's, uh, it's, it's something that used to be in Maryland a lot, and I'm excited to have it in my forest garden. Uh, I think yeah. it'll produce a lot of food for us and add a whole bunch of diversity. So. Will hopefully help bring back the hazelnuts. Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited. I've never eaten many hazelnuts in my life. I don't think I've ever eaten a hazelnut. Yeah. (laughs) But we have 12 trees of them. But we have 12 trees. We will be eating a lot of hazelnuts. I can't wait to have our little roadside stand sell hazelnuts. Sure. And good chicken food, I think. So that'll be another way for us. I don't want to buy grain for the chickens forever. Mm -hmm. So I've been planting things that would allow us to produce our own chicken food. That's one thing. Awesome. And... Hazelnut coffee. I don't. There's got to be a way that we can make like oh yeah hazelnut flavored things. Yeah. Well, it, it has the nutrient profile of soy, so it can pretty much be used for anything. I think. And so we have lots of things in the forest garden that aren't native to the United States, like apples, for instance, aren't native here. They're brought over by the colonists early on. But and I love apples, so I want lots of apples. But I also want to be adding things into the forest garden that are native. Lots of native herbs and trees, or in this case, it's part American hazelnut, but it's things that the birds and the bugs and the wildlife is going to really appreciate because they were, you know, they've been living here. Pawpaws. Pawpaws, yeah. I'm excited about, I'm excited to get pawpaws. I've eaten one pawpaw in my life. Yeah, it was really good. It was delicious, but now we're growing the trees. How many pawpaws do we have? Just three. Okay. Awesome. So today we are going to talk about books, books that have inspired our whole family into this culture of homesteading and natural living. I think it's really important to have a few good friends or 
or role models in your life who are passionate people about something, passionate about some sort of hobby. My best friend, Allie, she made an appearance in a previous podcast, has really become, in the past few years, become so passionate about books and reading, and she has gained a wealth of knowledge through all the books that she's read. And since she's a best friend of mine, I have really been inspired by her love of reading, and it has allowed me to bring a lot of books into our family life, and it has really shaped our family. And she asked us to do a podcast on books, so this is for her, and it is a thank you for opening our world to the world of books. Yeah, I'm really excited about this because in a number of the past podcasts, we've talked about stepping away from this culture that we're in in different ways. Like what John Paul II called the culture of death and the culture of life, we want, we want to have the culture of life in our family. And that can be really, really hard when you're immersed in this culture that we're in and we want to break away in certain, in certain ways. So one of the best ways to do that is to read a book that came from a different culture. We can get this, this knowledge and this insight and this vocabulary and all kinds of things that came from a different time and a different place, and we can grab a hold of that, and it becomes normal in a certain way when you read it. So we've, we've been trying to build culture in our family by reading books. Yeah, Pete and I don't really have very many people who are living the way that we are living, and we don't have a lot of people that understand us. When you start talking about cows, there aren't a lot of people that are in the cow world with with you. Right. But it's really awesome to read these books, and suddenly we have this new kind of community of people who are living like us that we can really be encouraged by. Absolutely, and it helps for us to have vision for what we're doing, to constantly be seeing new perspectives and angles on it. I think it'll probably be, it's really nice for the kids that they can see, they can read things like Little House and see that there was lots of things that were normal back in Little House that we kind of do in our way here. And yes. Kind of thing. So we're going to actually start, we're going to just run through a couple, we're going to start at the lowest level, some like children's picture books to, you know, more family books to, we're going to even go into some how-to books. Yeah, this should be a lot of fun. Let's do it. Okay, well, I'm going to start with a little story. So my son is seven, and he is a voracious reader. He's the one I talked about in a previous podcast who taught himself how to read when he was about four. I think, Kristen, you learned how to read when you were four, too. No, I was in kindergarten. It was really fast, though. Yeah, it clicked easily for me. I learned how to read when I was in second grade, I think, or third. (laughs) Not very fast. But you're, you're you're a much... bigger reader than I am. <laughs> yeah, all you parents who are worried that your kids aren't reading, learning to read fast enough. I didn't learn to read till I was in second or third grade, and I love reading. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But anyway, our son is an incredibly voracious reader. He's in first grade, but I, I would say he's probably got a middle school reading level or higher. He reads like these huge history books in like three days. And anyway, I wanted to constantly be giving him new, new, new books, but you can't when it's hard to give a first grader some middle school books because they might not be emotionally ready for it. I, like I gave him one history book and then I didn't really read the whole history book first and he's telling me things about World War II that I didn't necessarily want him knowing at a, as a kindergartner. Yeah. So anyway, I'm trying so hard to find good books that are kind of age appropriate and I'm a girl and one of the first books that came into my mind were the American Girl books. Yeah, I came home <laughs> one day and he was reading American Girl doll book and I was like, wait, this is clearly a moment for me to step 
step in as like, the father. There are some boy books out there. <laughs> but, <laughs> but Chris didn't love them growing up, so I was like, all right, let me give it a chance. And it turned out to be so good. Yeah, they're amazing. But I go to the library, and this was before I kind of realized the importance of putting books on hold. So our library, you kind of type in the book you want, and then they, they hold it for you. But you can have you know, more books available that might not actually be at the library. They ship them in. So I just kind of show up to the library, and I'm looking everywhere for the American Girl books. So finally, after looking and looking, I asked the librarian, who's this young guy, I said, do you have the American Girl books? He said, yeah. I was like, where? I cannot find them. And so he takes me to the shelf where I was already looking, and he pulls these books off the bookshelf. And he's like, here, they're, they're right here. And I look at these books, and I literally go, um, I'm sorry, what in the heck? are these they were these like modern american girl books and they were like these girls in these like really trendy clothes and it's like ballerina girl and gymnastics and horseback riding and i'm like what are these and he kind of looks down at the books and he goes and i'm not kidding he goes yeah they need to get out of suburbia <laughs> i'm like thank you story of my life and then i guess i'm this old lady and i'm like in my day, I don't think I actually said in my day, but so when I was a kid, these were like inspirational, courageous young girls that shaped our country. I mean, the American Girl books when I was a kid were Kirsten, who was this, you know, immigrant from Sweden. She loses her best friend through sickness on the boat or the traveling, and she is having to learn a new language and be a pioneer out on the out west and there's felicity who lives in this revolutionary time the revolutionary war and molly whose character takes place in world war ii then there's addie who escapes slavery in civil war times these are all courageous girls doing heroic things and they're it's great history lessons i wasn't going to give my boy these trendy new books right uh so uh anyway that was just kind of funny we want we don't want to like be giving our kids these kind of books that reinforce this suburbia culture. Right, books are the opportunity to do the opposite. Yeah, we want to reinforce reinforce just courage and natural living and beauty and... and Adversity, getting through adversity, all that kind of thing. I went to the library and yeah, there's... there's, I'm not going to name anything specific because I'll probably offend somebody, but there's row after row after row in the children's section of these like junk books. Mm -hmm. Just bubblegum books and... The, there's, I think maybe some parents are so happy that their kids are reading that they'll let them read whatever they want. And it just really seems like the fast food version of books. The, the artwork is terrible and the story has nothing to it. And it's like bathroom humor and And the kids are stuff. drawn to that. Like I take them to the library and they're drawn to the worst books. I'm right. Like, and if we give our kids everything they wanted to eat, it'd be nothing but chips and cookies. You yeah. Know? So, so books is an opportunity then to really enter into something deeper and more powerful, even as kids. Yeah. So we're going to go through our favorites right now. And there are hundreds and thousands of books out there. So, but we're just going to go through the ones that we've enjoyed over the past couple of years. So we'll start with the little ones. I'm going to go through actually books. I tried to, because there's so many great books out there. I decided to kind of maybe do two books, two like children's books for each season, because a lot of books help just embrace the beauty of the seasons. One thing I will say about homesteading, I never really appreciated the beauty of the seasons until we moved out to the country because before I was more seeing a little bit of grass and then like sidewalks and streets and houses. But now, you know, in the spring, all of a sudden everything turns green, all the grass 
pastures of just green grass. And, and then in the winter, you see the, the snow on the pines and the glistening throughout the pasture and the summer when all the flowers are in bloom and the spring. It's just, the seasons are so beautiful and it's so important to just see God's masterpiece of the seasons and I'm just going to go through children's yeah, books. Yeah, well, we had started seasons. off. We had started off a couple podcasts talking about the weather, and we got to the third podcast, and Kristen was like, "We we need to not intro the podcast today by talking about the weather again," <laughs> which which is true. It's like this is not a weather update podcast, but yes. it's so easy in homesteading because you you're outside, you're so much closer to nature, and you're thinking about it, and it's it's dictating parts of your life to just be very aware of it, and that was what was interesting to us. So we were going to talk about it, but. It's true that we can enter into the seasons and we can do that with books as well. Yes. So let's go through the seasons. Let's start with fall because everybody loves fall. This year, we really enjoyed a book called The Scarecrow's Dance by Jane Yolen. It's just a really unique spin on a child's farm book. It's written kind of like a poem, and it's about a scarecrow that decides to leave his post. And it really beautifully captures a harvesty night, and it has a great inspiring lesson as well. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, we're gonna we're gonna take the time this time and go through the show notes and add in all of these books. So if you're curious about them, they'll be in the show notes, and you can get them that way. You don't have to write it down. Wow, there's no going back for me now. Yeah. Now, (laughs) when I say we, I mean Kristen. So (laughs) I guess I will have to put these books in the show notes now. (laughs) But anyway, the Scarecrow's Dance is just kind of beautiful and artistic and just fun. Uh, we also love, love, love cranberry Thanksgiving. It just, you know, shows just the crispness of the of a farm in the fall and collecting fire for the firewood and baking and um, or firewood for the fire. Yeah. It's just we love cranberry Thanksgiving and fall books. I could list a thousand fall books. Children's books really lend themselves to farm life. Yeah, so there's are. a lot of harvesty books that are really great, but I'm just going to do two because we have a lot of books to cover and that is Cranberry Thanksgiving. The I think there was Scarecrow's a recipe Dance. for cranberry bread in the back of that. Oh yeah, the we made that. kids got so excited after reading it, they wanted to make cranberry It makes you bread, want so. to bake. It, it's you know, yeah. it's fun to have books around that kind of inspire you to just I don't know, bake. <laughs> Maybe you want to grow cranberries. Yeah, can we do that here? Can oh, absolutely. We? Oh, that'd be yeah. that'd be really cool. Yeah. Um, okay, so fall, winter. Our favorite winter books so there's one book that I got, Robert Frost. It's you know his classic poem, um, Stopping by the Woods on a Snowy Evening. And the illustrations that we love are by Susan Jeffers. And this book is a classic poem, but the illustrations just do a, such a great job of capturing a forest in a snowstorm. So we live on a forest edge, and it, this, the pictures just show the majesty and the silence of, of a forest in the in the snowstorm. It makes us want to just go put on our boots and go hiking through the woods in in the snow. Oh, it's beautiful. That is the perfect book to put that next to a, one of the Fly Guy stories and tell me which one you think is more substantial. It's a Robert Frost poem, one of the classic poems and just this incredible artwork. Yeah. That's one of the big things is is in these children's books even is that a lot of the classic children's books and the really good ones have really good artwork too. Mm-hmm. And so it's another way to appreciate beauty without yeah. just junky pictures of... Yeah, of, the way that they show just the snowflakes. And I mean, God's masterpiece, I mean, there is beauty in every season. And that book just shows the beauty of winter in a book that I haven't 
seen as much. And her illustrations of the birds that you know we see in, on the snow, oh, it's just it's just beautiful. It's just a great way of of capturing that. Yeah, that is one you definitely that, want for your family. The library. mystery of the of the forest in the winter. Right. So, yes. Um, also, we love, and there's countless beautiful Christmas books, but one that we always go back to, I'm kind of, sh- I'm just sharing the ones that we always go back to, is um, Room for a Little One. Oh, oh man. So good. Now, that's not about homesteading. It's like a Christmas storybook, but it just shows- well, It's a barn full of animals. Yeah, a barn so. full of animals, and <laughs> the beauty of the, the barn, the beauty of the animals. That I mean, one thing we've learned about animals is just they're, they're really just really part of God's plan, God's creation, and there's something about them that's just really, I don't know, what would you say, magical? Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. That's that's another one that like got me close to tears. Oh, yeah, I, I was mean, weeping. I mean, it's a kid's book, yeah. but it's just so... C.S. Lewis talks about how even children's books should be really, really inviting to adults. Like, adults mm-hmm. should enjoy reading children's books, which, of course, is the Chronicles of Narnia. But that's a book where it's, it's, a, it's a little... You know, toddler's picture book, and it made me want to cry. I have so shed many tears over children's picture books. And yeah. That, so, yeah, room for a little one. I think I also read that when I was pregnant at one point, and you know, it was just just so beautiful. So, okay, so we had so winter. We said um, Robert Frost stopping by the woods on a snowy evening with the illustrations by Susan Jeffers, and then room for a little one. Uh, spring. So we really like, I like Bunny's First Spring by Sally Lloyd-Jones. She does a great job just showing how everything can look dead in the wintertime. But then, you know, it's, it has this secret. All creation has this secret in winter that's going to burst forth into life. And she just does a great job showing that. So Bunny's First Spring, Sally Lloyd-Jones. We, I love Sally Lloyd-Jones. She does a Jesus storybook Bible. And I'm just not homesteading, but I'm just going to throw that one out there. Favorite kids Bible, um, Jesus storybook oh, it's Bible. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So it's so hard, I think, for to understand, especially when you're younger, before you have a lot of the theology and, and understanding of it about how the Bible is is a story about of redemption all the way through, and that's the the Jesus storybook Bible is shows even from the early stories in the Old Testament how it's a story of redemption and it's a story of God reaching out to, to lost people the yeah. whole way through. And I'm so excited that, that hopefully the kids can kind of, that's their first understanding of the Bible. Even the, even the, the old Testament stories that seem disconnected and it's like, what does this even mean? It, it connects all of them to redemption and love and mercy, which is beautiful. Yes. And we could take this podcast in a million different directions, but we're going to try to stay focused on homesteading. Okay. But, focus. Focus. but yes, we just had to throw that one in there. For spring, we also really enjoyed a book called Jack's Garden by Henry Cole. And it just takes you from, it's this boy who's planting a garden, but it kind of shows really in nice pictures what's going on. So what's going on underground when he plants the seeds. And it's just kind of just this beautiful, I don't know, book about gardening for children. Yeah, and a lot to learn too. Yeah, inspires kids into gardening. So we love that one for spring. So we did, let's see, spring, summer. Now, summer, our favorite book, and this isn't actually really having anything to do with summer, but I just put it in that category, but The Little House by Virginia Lee Burton. Oh, man, that is just awesome. It's about this little house, and this little house was built in the country, and she just talks about the beauty of really, I mean, all the seasons and just watching the seasons and watching the children play and 
And then all of a sudden, the city comes closer and closer and closer. And then suddenly, she's in this, she's this house in the city. And it's her little story. And it just makes country life seem so much better than anything else. It does. <laughs> so it just reinforces what we're trying to instill in our children of the beauty of the slow and, and the beauty of nature. So Right. This is how it connects with how Kristen and I feel. And one of the reasons we moved out further out from the city is we feel like we're part of this time period where the city and asphalt and mm-hmm. and mechanized things are just taking over and it's like no we want to we want to yeah. break free we want to see the beauty of god's creation so yeah. the little house this year we're also enjoying blueberries for sal that's a fun one by robert mccloskey yeah and it just kind of shows this mother and daughter picking berries and canning them and it just again shows makes normal the life that we're doing. We've been picking a lot of berries <laughs> this yes, year. So yes, yes. it's just, that's a really fun one. Oh, also right in front of me, I have a pile of books in front of me. Also right in front of me, we have the little blue truck. And that the illustrations look more fall-like, but I like books that are just fun. I like books that rhyme. Those are just that are easy to read to my two-year-old, to my seven-year-old. So the little blue truck is a good one too. Yeah, that's very good. So those are just a couple out of hundreds of little picture books that our family kind of keeps going back to and enjoys. Now we're going to get up to more, I don't know, what would you call them? Children's books? That children's are, books. I don't know. So many of them I've loved reading. Yes. So it's kind of like children's books through adults. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Fiction. We'll do, we're going to do fiction books that, are, that really inspire our life. Right. So one of the books that I thoroughly enjoyed reading this past year was The Swiss Family Robinson. So it's this Swiss family get, that gets shipwrecked at sea, and they come to this island and have to start a life there. So uh, a few things about that. The first was just that the, the father loves to get advice from all of his kids, even the young ones, and that just inspired me for some reason. Like, I'm not the father who has to have everything put together. I want to constantly be getting advice from my kids. And they do this thing on the island where they name everything. They have Safety Bay and Falconhurst and every area that they've been to, they give it a name. And that just makes it familiar and fun. So we've started doing that here. We Yesterday, we took a hike through Fern Valley past Big Rock Hill to Blueberry Peninsula. And Don't you have Catfish Cove? And we have Catfish Cove. Yeah. These areas that that are near our house, back in the woods and things like that, and we name them and it's it just makes it so much fun. And and then there's the, the father gives all of his sons advice about, you know, what are their strengths and weaknesses. And it's just a really, really fun, neat book. I feel like it could have gone on for 2,000 pages, and I would have been happy if it, if it never ended. Yeah, but and they really have to learn how to survive there, and it's... It's exciting. Yeah, it makes you want to be outdoors, and so... Yes. So the other book that has really inspired our family are the Little House on the Prairie series. And I have to be honest with you, Pete and I have only read a couple of the Little House books, and we love them, but we do have standing here a Little House on the Prairie expert, uh, seven-year-old Justin has read every single Little House on the Prairie book probably three to five times, and I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's always telling us what they do on Little House on the Prairie. Um, they are very inspiring to us. We are reading them. I'm reading one at night, reading Little House in the Big Woods tonight. So I do want to read all of them. So far, I'm on my third. So Justin, we want you to talk a little bit about what you love about Little House on the Prairie books. 
I like reading about how they lived back then. What is your favorite little house on the prairie book? The Long Winter. And why is that your favorite? Because it's when Almanzo and his friend um, goes way, way out, like 40 miles away, to get grain to keep the people of the village where Laura and Mary lived in from starving. Wow, so they really saved the day. Mm-hmm. We love Almanzo. He's in Farmer Boy. He also, in this book, he had this really heavy wagon in this in the 4th of July race. He rode in it, and he won against the really light buggies with his horses. Tell us about Almanzo's pumpkin that won in the fair. He, he, he filled a bowl of milk, and then he went out into the pumpkin yard and cut a... The best vine of all, and then the best flower. And then I think he put the flower, he, he hollowed out the stem and put the flower inside it, um, the end of the flower inside it, and he put the stem on in, inside a hollow candle wick, and then he put the candle wick hollowed out candle wick all the way through into the bowl of milk. Then he buried the bowl of milk and and the candle wick and then the stem sucked it through the candle wick and it gave, and it gave it lots of milk every day and that's how it got into a huge pumpkin that he won first place in the county fair. Wow, that is some amazing scientific work for a nine-year-old Almanzo. That's yeah. pretty awesome. Almanzo I wonder if is, we did that, if Bella would dig it up and drink the milk. Yeah, he's really <laughs> an amazing kid, huh? They didn't have any dogs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well. And, mo- and his mom called dogs dirty. <laughs> they are pretty dirty. <laughs> no question about that. Yeah, so Justin, do you love Little House books? Yes. Yeah, so we love the Little House books and highly recommend them. And they were my favorites until I read the Hardy Boys books. Oh, yes, Justin loves Hardy Boys. So one thing that we do is we go to thrift stores, and I buy. I like to have a bookshelf stacked with books, and I've gotten like pretty much every Hardy Boy book, right, Justin? From Not even close. There's yeah, like there's like 50 of them. Oh, okay, sorry. I got like 1 to, one to 26. So, but Justin, you love Hardy Boys. They're not really homesteading, but they are brave, cool kids, right? So he's read about 26 of the Hardy Boys many times. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I read like 16 of them. No, tw- 20-something. Yeah, like 26. Yeah, no, 22. Oh. No, 23. Okay, well, you like Hardy Boys. Okay. Uh-huh. Well, thank you, Justin, for sharing, and thank you for reading. We love that you read so much, so Thanks, great dude. job. Well done. Say bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. (laughs) Okay. All right. Love you. We love going to thrift stores to get books. There's just always tons of stuff, and you might find something you weren't expecting to buy and bring home a really good book. You will also notice that there is a full set of the Twilight series at every single thrift store in the entire world. <laughs> I always see Twilight At books. least one, yeah. <laughs> We've never read them, but... So if you want those, they are at every thrift store. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you can also buy a crystal goblet for your milk that you can drink. That's true. <laughs> Pete and I went to a thrift store to look at books, and he saw this huge goblet and decided he needed to drink this huge glass chalice thing. And so yeah, it could be like Thor drinking He drinks milk. his milk out of this huge chalice from a thrift I've store. I've done it once or twice. I feel kind of stupid. So. <laughs> Sorry.
Anyway, I have a crystal goblet for my milk. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so back to books. So let's see. We said Little House, Swiss Family Robinson. We also love um, My Side of the Mountain. It is such a terrific book. It was one of my favorite books when I was growing up when I was little. And we found it again, and it's just so wonderful. It's about this boy who runs away from home in the city and goes and lives inside of a tree out in his old his family's old land out way out in the country. And it talks about how he gathers all of his own food and does hunting and sets up traps and he tames a falcon and all this like crazy stuff. But the way it's written, it all sounds very real. Like you can totally believe it as a kid that this actually happened. Yeah. It's a, it's a great book, a really fun read. And the only thing about it is you don't ever want to watch the movie. A worst movie. It's like a ter- we we read the book and then we all sat down as a family and and tried to watch the movie, and they completely miss the point. It has this beautiful ending. Pete and I are like crying. The ending is so beautiful, and they complete the movie completely misses the point. Yeah. Of the whole book. I think it was made in the eighties and it has a whole bunch of eighties nonsense. Yeah, in it. and they kind of recreate a whole new ending that is so. Not cool. So yeah, the ending's terrible in the movie. It's terrible. What a great book, though. My Side of the Mountain. It makes you want to be in nature. It makes you want to go leave everything and go survive in the woods. Not be afraid of the winter. Not be afraid of being hungry. Just, yeah, yeah go survive. And you're like, if a little kid can do it, we can do it. Yeah, it's actually got a lot of in- good information in it. Like, you're, you're learning while you're reading this child book. Yeah, yeah. So My Side of the Mountain is great. Secret Garden. I love The Secret Garden. It's so good. Yes. It really inspires a love of gardening and work and being out in the dirt and the air. And I think it really speaks to the culture today. It was written, I don't know, 1900s, written a long, long time ago. But it it really speaks to me about children today. So it's about these two kids who are like really not great kids, kind of bratty kids, and very spoiled, and they have no, you know, exposure to, like, work and and nature, and then these kids kind of come out and they experience just the magic of the garden, magic of nature. It's so good at describing beauty. Like, I've heard people say before, I don't like going outside, I don't don't like bugs, and I don't like being hot. You know, people just have no concept of, of how beautiful nature can be, and so... That's good for me to hear. It's good for anybody to hear how to hear someone describe in such wonderful detail about how magical and beautiful nature is. Yeah, and you see it transform these just spoiled children. And you see it transform them into really strong and good kids. Yeah, we feel like it connects with everything we're saying where you're there's this concept of like this dark, dingy, dusty uh, mansion, and then the kids get out into nature, and there's this this freedom and magic and beauty about it. And I love how they describe this one boy, Dickens. Dickens has it together. He is raised in nature, and he can talk to the animals, and he's kind of helping these terrible kids. <laughs> and but his mother like brings the kids, sneaks the kids this cream, this top milk, and just helps them to grow and become strong kids. And we're like, yeah, they need their probiotics and their and their milk. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. The kids are even very sickly, and yeah. then they're yeah. The way they're getting healthy is by drinking cream from the dairy cow. Yeah, exactly. 
Another one that's along the same lines is Heidi. This is, I love this book. It's this little Swiss girl and it's so special. But this is another one where she just comes alive by being in nature and drinking goat's milk and being with her grandfather. I mean, it's just so much fun. Yeah. And the way that she describes the beauty of the mountains. And at one point she kind of gets taken away from the mountains and just how she longs to be back into the into nature, back to the mountains. Yeah, we keep saying this over and over again, that there's this disconnect that happens if you're in suburbia or in the city or any kind of lifestyle where you're in front of a screen and you're, you're being disconnected from the way humans live for thousands of years. And we want to get away from that and come back to nature and natural living and beauty. And so books like this give you a vision for it. They give you this idea of how wow, there were people back then doing it too. And this is this incredible story about how somebody went from darkness and dinginess to life and beauty. Yeah, well, because the book also has her friend, uh, Clara, I think her name is. Right. And she's crippled and has all kinds of health problems. And then she's brought into the mountain and experiences just the healing of good food and the mountain air and the beauty. And and it's just, yeah, very beautiful. Right. Very it's this idea even that... That people stuck in a in a dark life that it's crippling to them. Yeah. That it's it's even physically crippling to them, and that mm-hmm. there's a way out of that, and there's a way to freedom. Yeah, exactly. Another great one is a classic Charlotte's Web, just reinforcing farm life and and just kind of helping you fall in love with these the animals and. Right. Hopefully, not personify them too much. <laughs> The cow goes to the butcher next week. But Our cow is going to the butcher next right, week. Right. Yeah. You watched the movie Babe. I think we saw it a long time ago. And I was oh, like, yeah. Oh, how could you ever slaughter a pig again? Yeah. But right. <laughs> part of farm life. Yeah, exactly. So those are just been those have been our favorite just fictional farm life kind of beauty nature books. They've inspired a love of nature. Right. An appreciation of creation and Oh, absolutely. Things like that. So should we get into the how-to? Yeah, let's do how-to books. I'm not a big how-to person. So, so this is nonfiction. I am. I love yeah. reading this stuff. I've needed to to get like a college degree in in farm life and, and gardening and that kind of stuff since I didn't know any of this before. So I listen to tons of podcasts. And I love reading these kinds of books. Yeah. So what are your favorite? So Joel Salentin is, he's been kind of the face of the organic, natural living, you can farm movement. And he's a terrific author. And you've probably seen him if you've seen documentaries like Food Inc. I think they interview him in there. Farmageddon. Farmageddon. Yeah, <laughs> stuff like that. So, Joe, But he's really well-spoken. He's a farmer out of Virginia and who's had a family, a multi-generational family farm. And now he's an author as well. And so I I read Salad Bar Beef when we were getting the cows, and there's another one, Folks, the same normal. He's he's probably got 10 books out there, and they're all terrific. And he he will give a lot of the how-to in... When so much of the industry is dominated by things like fertilizer and herbicide and, and conventional means of basically trying to automate it all, he's an example of how you can do homesteading and farming and growing cows using technology. We call it appropriate technology. So using technology when it's useful, but not so that it destroys the product or somehow makes it less natural. So, yeah, Salad Bar Beef and Folks This Ain't Normal. Anything by Joel Salentin is really terrific. He's also really fun to listen to. You can look up interviews by him. Uh, and I just really, really enjoyed it. So uh, next, I think, is my fermentation book. I love this. It's called The Art of Fermentation by Sandor Katz. And 
I think one of the one of the things that can be really hard about how-to books is they stress people out mm-hmm. because most of the people who write how-to books are type A personalities. Like I remember we read a bunch of books about what you do with a baby before we had a baby and we just got so stressed out by it. It was mm-hmm. like these people talk about every single subject as if it's life or death and then you have a baby and you're freaked out because it's like you don't know anything and you're trying to do something and you've got all this information stacked in your head. So um, how-to books, that's the danger of them is just getting a whole bunch of information that you haven't processed yet or started using and it can it can make things really stressful. The art of fermentation is the opposite of that. Hmm. He takes a subject that seems really like who knows anything about it and you're worried about microbes and doing things wrong and he, he makes it sound so wonderful. And if that's something you want to get into, I mean, most of the world still eats a significant portion of their diet from fermented foods. Hmm. We're here in America where you might have heard of pickles and that was probably in a vinegar brine. It wasn't even fermented. Mm. And we don't really know much about fermentation here except maybe alcohol. And um, he just described it and makes it really, really like something you would want to do. Yeah. So we have a dairy cow and that was hard to find some information. I found a whole bunch since then. One of the books that I really appreciated is by Adam Kloss. I don't even think it's published. I think he self-published it, but I I think I bought it off Amazon, but it's called Dairy Farming the Beautiful Way by Adam Kloss. And it's just so much good information in there about how to do a dairy cow, maybe a more natural way. And it's terrific. That's one where you do have to be a little bit careful. You know, he talks about everything in there as if it's the most important possible thing that you can do. And you got to take a lot of that stuff with a grain of salt. Right. I've, I've read it once and I went, I'm going back and rereading it now and I can handle a lot of that information more now that I have a foundation and a concept for how to make use of it. But pretty much all of these how-to books, you have to, you just have to filter a lot of it out, try and get the ideas, try and get knowledge. And then whenever they say, this is so important, most of the time it's not. Yeah. Or maybe it is, but you'll figure it out later and it's okay if you make a mistake. Or if anyone ever says this is the only way how to do something, it's never, there's never one way to do something. Yeah, there's never one way to do things. Mm-hmm. It, there's always a context. Context is half of how to. Right. And so everybody who's writing these books has their own context, but you have your own. We have our own. So context is half of it and, and just keep that in mind. Yeah, right. So I'm not a big how-to book person. I really learn by experience and um, too much information really stresses me out. I'm big picture, not detail oriented, but there have been, there has been a couple books that have really helped me. They've been awesome. And my favorite book of all is a book called Homegrown Herbs by Tammy Hartung. I don't know how to say her last name. Tammy, T-A-M-M-I-H-A-R-T-U-N-G. <laughs> and she, this book is awesome. So it's a book about just everything you'd want to know about herbs, how to harvest, how to grow them, how to harvest them, how to make teas and um, infuse oils, any kind of, it's just everything herb. And she has just about a hundred herbs and their pictures and what their, their medicinal purpose is and if they like sun or shade. And I'm the kind of person, my friend said, whenever you read a book, you start in the back and then you go forward. And I was like, what are you talking about? I don't, I don't start in the back. And I realized I opened a book and I really do flip through it. I do start in the back and I, I take what I, I take what's helpful and I um, don't look at what is not helpful. So the way she gardens is very different than the way I garden. She like lays out straw and does all this stuff and all that kind of gardening stuff would stress me out. 
but it is really helpful to, to refer to her. And, and I, I've gotten a lot of information of what to do with the herbs and how to harvest them and how to dry them. So I do it a little at a time, and I, I always refer back to this book. I also, for my birthday, my friend Allie got me a book called Healing Herbal Teas by Sarah Farr, Sarah F-A-R-R. And she just has just so many different recipes from not only herbs, but leaves of trees that I never would have even known you could eat or use. And she just opens up your eyes to just the world of the medicinal world around us that God really gave us to be healthful for our bodies. And she does a lot of She's done a lot of experimenting with what tastes good together. And so just hundreds of different, not just herbs, but leaves and all kinds of things for tea recipes and things like that. So that's been a really helpful book. Absolutely. I found that it's really nice to get some actual books on farming and gardening. I'm not even going to get into the forest garden and permaculture stuff right now. We'll do that a different day. But there's so much information on the internet, which is junk. Yeah. Like I think so many people are so anxious to get their information out there that they don't care if they've never actually used it before or if it's useful information. And so there is a lot of good stuff on the internet when it comes, if you, if you know a specific person to look to. So if you can find that person on YouTube or podcasts and you really trust them, then it's good information, but there's just this plethora of junk on the internet. And so I think actually getting to a book and some of the experts when it comes to this has been really helpful too. Yeah. So it's been, we've been podcasting for 40 minutes now. There are just thousands of great books out there, but those are just a couple that jump out of our bookshelf that we love. But we really just encourage you to get... Wait, do you want to do one more? The Benedict Option? Oh, the Benedict Option. I am reading the Benedict Option now. And that... If you like our podcast, basically he is saying everything we've been saying in our podcast in a different way. He, this guy, he kind of goes and visits these ancient Benedictine monasteries and the way that they live with such order and such peace and basically how in this crazy world, you can really have that within your homes and your communities. And basically, if you like our podcast, I highly recommend that book. Yeah, it's not Catholic per se. I think it's it's written to the broader Christian audience yeah. to include Catholics, but the broader Christian audience. And yeah, I and we love this because we think that this conversation about how culture is moving in one direction and technology is moving rapidly to the detriment of, of people in some ways, this is a conversation of for our generation that we need to be having. And so it's so fun when we find a, a new person who's, who's having this conversation and talking about, wait a minute, which parts of culture are good, which parts of technology are good, and which parts are really, really not helpful and and, yeah. and and being able to dissect that and not being afraid of that conversation. And how can we love you it. how can you we as a family step away from that and live what is real? And that's really what it's about is living what is real and what is good and what is beautiful. So Absolutely. Um, and doing option. it as a family. You know, yeah. we have kids now. It's not we're not just doing our own thing. Yeah. We want to know what's going to be life giving for a family. Yeah. I think if you're, if you're still listening to a po- our podcast at this point, you probably want that too because yeah. we talk about it constantly. Yeah. So yeah, really as a family, build your, build your family culture by the music you listen to, the shows or movies that you watch and the books that you read. 
And I guess that's it for today. That's it for today. We'll probably do another one of these eventually because we have so much more to say. Yeah. All right, everyone. Have a great day. Oh, and next time we talk to you, we will have a baby cow. We'll let you know how that goes. Yeah. A little nervous. We'll see what happens. All right. Have a great day, everyone. Bye-bye.